Let's go with the American President Ronald Reagan. Trust but verify. I believe everybody goes into a partnership, for the most part, unless you're dealing with the sociopath, with good intentions. There's no doubt. However, the road to hell was paved with good intentions. And I will also tell you that the exit agreement is important, not just for you, but if you are thinking of selling your company and you don't have an exit agreement, that might actually hurt you from being able to sell it and or be get the premium price for it. Uh So why would you set yourself up for getting less by not having something? So honestly, if someone came to me coaching or consulting and said, I really want to partner with this person, but they don't want to sign, you know, they don't want to go into having an agreement. I say, then that's not the person to do business with. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. Okay, we need to talk about something. It is really hard to be in a relationship with an entrepreneur. I know we can sit back and be like, I'm so easy to be in a relationship with. They are the problem. They don't think like I do. They don't watch personal development videos 24-7 like I do. They're not on this trajectory of growth and impact and all of these things. That's really hard to be with sometimes. You know, as an entrepreneur, there are three types of relationships that we need to acknowledge, manage, and have leadership around. The first is if we are an entrepreneur and we are in a relationship, a personal relationship, but, you know, broader family too, with non-entrepreneurs, we're a lot. And there are things we need to have in place and things we need to think about in order to effectively manage and lead those relationships. The second type of entrepreneurial relationship we need to address is when both parts of a romantic couple work together in a business. There are two layers of relationships that happen there. And when we blend them all together without intentionally addressing them, we can run into traps, traps that impact your personal relationship, but traps that impact your business as well. The third type of relationship that we need to acknowledge and have a look at are business partnerships, people who come together to build something incredible because their skills are complementary or their desire for community is complementary. All three types of relationships require leadership and awareness. And that is what we are talking about today. My guest, Dr. Patty Ann Tublin, is an experienced psychotherapist and now works in the realm of coaching high-performance relationships with entrepreneurs, all three types. And in our episode today, Patty's going to talk about the traps that we have a tendency to fall into, some of the safeguards that we can have in place as leaders of our relationships and of our businesses so we don't fall victim to some of the things that can take place when we are not intentionally leading those elements of our lives. And thirdly, like Patty always does, she's going to share with us the wisdom of her profound and immense career in this realm so she can introduce some ideas so that we can lead at a whole new level. This is such an important topic, whether you are running a business or you are 
running a life, if you are on this path of wanting to lead yourself and your relationships, I promise you will not be disappointed. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Patty Ann Tublin. Dr. Patty Ann Tublin, welcome to Impact. Oh, it's so great to be here, Megan. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Well, this is kind of an important conversation. I'm not going to lie. We were just chit-chatting before we officially hit record. And what I want to do is I want to unpack the gory details of business, entrepreneurship, and relationships. And I also just want to set the stage for everyone. When I talk about relationships and gory details in business, I am talking about a few things. One, being in a relationship with an entrepreneur in general, I think can be gory. I am an entrepreneur. I know that it's gory to be in a relationship with me at times. Two, we sometimes have relationships where both partners are in the business. And that's a whole other element that we need to consider. And then the third scenario is you have a business partner who might not be your life partner, but that is also a partnership that requires very careful consideration, not just two people in the right place, the right time with a little bit of dopamine. So <laughs> before we before we go into all three of these scenarios and the pitfalls and the traps that we need to be aware of as leaders in our lives and businesses, Patty Ann, can you share with my audience what makes you so uniquely skilled to lead this conversation today? Okay, thank you. I will say, though, I do have to comment on what you just mentioned about the goriness I'm going to reframe it and say, of course, that expression, may we live in interesting times and may we live interesting lives, right? So it is really quite exciting. So there's the pitfalls and then there's also the glory. So there you go. So what uniquely qualifies me for this is I too am an entrepreneur. My educational background is I have two master's degrees. I have my doctorate in clinical psychology. And what that does is it sets me up as a relationship and a human behavior performance expert. And I feel very strongly, and I I haven't had anybody disagree with me, that anywhere from 75 to 85% of all business is about the relationships. It's not the business aspect per se that makes or breaks a relationship. And that's why when I go into all different companies, I mean all different companies, law, medicine, accounting, app development, hedge fund guys, finance, dentists, doctors, doesn't matter what your business is, because it's the relationship aspect that is usually what creates the success or what makes the success impossible. That usually follows the concept of trust being at the core of every healthy relationship. And then what do you do when that trust gets compromised? Because inevitably, especially with entrepreneurship, There's twists and turns in the relationship, in the business, in the climate, in what your clients want, right? So we know, especially as entrepreneurs, we know if you're doing business now, the way you were doing it, I'll even say a year ago, you're going to be out of business, especially now we're in the throes of the AI, I'll say revolution might be a little dramatic, but let's go with it. You really need to be able to embrace what's new, what's coming around the corner and try to be proactive about it. But if you're in a partnership, it's not just about you. And that's where you and your partner have to be aligned when you start your business and as you grow your business. I appreciate your reframe. As you were reframing that, I had a moment where I'm like, are we talking about parenting or are we talking (laughs) about about entrepreneurship? 
Let's start with the the unorthodox partnership here, and that is entrepreneur married to non-entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like they're like these ships passing in the emotional night because of the volatility of being an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter. I don't think what stage you are in. My husband said to me the other day, here's the example. He's just like, Megan, there's just always drama. I'm not a drama person, but there is. We're just in the season right now where there's just been things we have to react to. And it doesn't matter how much planning and how much leadership there's just that I don't have the economy of scale in my business to distance myself from some of these day-to-day pieces. And I was really triggered by it. I was like, gosh, like I consider myself a strong leader. My husband's reflecting back to me. There's just always drama. It just felt like such a judgment piece. But also like he couldn't see that no matter what action I took, it was really hard to escape from it. I can see your therapist's face. But this is just a small, this is just a small example. I don't do therapy. I I do coaching. Okay, great. I see your coaching face. This is just a small example of like, and maybe this happens with any job. So you can interrupt my flow here at any point. But I think sometimes it's hard when you're an entrepreneur and you feel so immensely responsible for the consequences of all of the actions in your employees and all the pieces. It's different than being an employee. It's a different experience. It's a different burden. Different, not better or it worse. Is, it is different. I don't know what your husband was referencing. You know, you saw this psychologist in me come through when you used the word <laughs> trigger, because I just feel like that word is, you know, people just use that when we're having a reaction to someone. Sure. I don't think you would trigger. Maybe you were. But I think what your husband was saying was that there's a lot of drama. Again, I'm going to reframe that, especially the stage that you're at in your business. There seems to be, there's almost always, very few absolutes, but there's almost always something that we have to be on top of or and or anticipate, right? Because otherwise we're dead in the water. Most entrepreneurs, you have to be working somewhat in your business, even though I know you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. above it. But there's an element of, for most entrepreneurs, not being able to escape the actual day-to-day. By the same token, you have to have the 40,000-foot view if you want to go forward. So I think what your husband was responding to, which is what I think happens a lot in a marriage when one person's an entrepreneur and the other one isn't, when you work for someone else, I'll say it this way, there is a limited sense of responsibility that you bring to your job. You want to do your job. You want to do it well. You want to give a hundred gazillion thousand percent, right? Because you want to have some pride and integrity in what you do. But at the end of the day, when the whistle blows, if you will, you skedaddle and hopefully you're not worrying about what the impact of your job is to the minutia obsessing about everything because you only have so much responsibility. You only have so much decision-making power and you do the best you can. And then many times the powers that be, even if you're the CEO of a company, because I work with them, they have a board that they have to respond to. So the buck with the non-entrepreneur does not stop with you. Now, that can be very frustrating, but it also can be very liberating because it's like, there's only so much I can do. And truly, there's only so much you can do. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're the entrepreneur and you're responsible, really we are, for other people's livelihoods, for our clients, for our customers, there's very much a sense of making it difficult to distance ourselves from that responsibility. Now, having said that, it is not healthy to be uber-focused on it 24-7. Perhaps that's what your husband was referencing. I don't know, Megan. 
But there is a sense of the buck stops with me. And if this initiative works, yes, you have a team, but ultimately you have to make what we call in corporate the executive decision, right? And if it doesn't work, there really are no excuses. It falls on you. Mm -hmm. And with entrepreneurship, there's no hiding. So that might be the aspect that can be daunting where we find it difficult to have a boundary between our personal life and our professional life. Because I hear this all the time from corporate. My boss can text me on a Saturday, but I'm not on the clock. So I'll text them on Monday. Now, honestly, that's a little generational. I hear that and I'm like, I don't know if the CEO texts you on a Saturday, you might want to respond. They're like, no. Whereas as an entrepreneur, I'll be very honest. And my first book was about creating boundaries in your marriage. Having said that, I literally don't think there has been a day where I have not in some capacity or another worked every single day my entire career, even if it's just my thought process in the shower while I'm washing my hair. So I think it's that where we have to be very careful that it doesn't become all consuming. I also am just going to throw on this like sandwich conversation here. I love my work. Like I love. Mm -hmm my company as a vehicle and canvas to create things like this is my art. And so there's some days where, you know, we're out walking the dog and I like can't stop talking about it. And I know I should just probably need to be aware enough to turn, turn the volume down on that. But like, this is also my creative outlet. Like I really feel fortunate that I love what I do. Well, let me make this suggestion. If you're walking your dog with your spouse, right? Your partner, I think what's important is to always have that open conversation and be honest and say, listen, Tell me at any time if I'm talking too much about work and say that and give them permission. And then when they do tell you that, you can't get pissed off at them. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I would say is you really have to have physical boundaries as well within your home. So do not bring the laptop into the bedroom. Like every single room in the house should not be a workroom. so that if you have a designated space, it doesn't have to be a specific office. It can be a closet. But if you have a designated space, that's where you should be working. So that when your kids, that when your spouse, that when everybody and anybody sees you in that space, it's like, oh, Megan is working. So if you want her attention, write it on here. Mom, can I talk to you? Kind of thing, right? And then the other piece is if in your relationship, and you should have date night, no matter where you are in your intimate relationship, you have like very clear boundaries and rules over what you can talk about. You don't talk about your jobs and you don't talk about your kids because there was a time when if you have a job and you have kids, there was a time when you could talk all night long about neither one of those topics because you didn't have kids, you know, and your job was just your job. It wasn't the be all and end all. So when you do that, even if you have to originally find a way to reconnect, it will help you reconnect on things that you've shared that either you're passionate about or that you enjoy. Even if you just want to plan, you know, where you want to go on vacation next or where you want to go next for dinner or whatever, you know, just as a couple. Very important that you're very, I guess the word is intentional. Yeah, I love the idea of setting those rules. I watch these couples sitting in restaurants, staring at one another and we make up stories. We're like, oh, man, their kids must have moved out 20 years ago and they have completely Mm -hmm. run out of. They've run out of commonality beyond these transient elements of our lives. Or they're both looking at each other's phone. That's what just cracks me up. And it also cracks me up when the kids are there and they do it. It actually doesn't crack me up. I actually find it quite sad. Yeah. The whole other problem in the world we need to solve. Let's talk about that second scenario where 
we have both partners, married partners, coupled romantic partners working together in the same business. Can we just talk about some of the traps that that sure. relationship dynamic tends to lend itself sure. So to. there's a couple of things. What we just said earlier applies for both people that are entrepreneurs as well, where you have to have boundaries, right? You have to set limits. You also have to be very clear. And I actually am working with a woman now in this. You have to be very clear on what the roles and the responsibilities are and make sure you honor that. Because what happens usually is one partner Let's say I'm doing product development and my partner's doing more finance, right? Every now and then be like, by the way, show me those numbers. Like, no, stay in your lane. I'll show you the numbers when you need to know the numbers kind of thing, right? In an appropriate manner. So many times we are our own worst enemy when it comes to roles and responsibilities. We want to, as entrepreneurs, control it all. And then we get pissed off when we say that we're the ones doing everything. Right. So if you have someone over functioning, somebody else is going to underfunction because it's like, why bother? You're just going to look at it and redo it anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect. Then there's the financial aspect. And one of the pieces of finance that people don't talk about a lot is what's the risk tolerance you and your partner have for financial risk? So if the company needs more money for something positive or they're having a hard time, where does that money come from? Mm-hmm. Do you go to a bank? Do you go to your rich uncle? Do you pull out of your 401k, create a private equity loan? And it's very important that you have this conversation before you actually are at the very beginning of starting your business because financial issues are the death of many romantic relationships anyway. Throw in a business and a family business on top of that. And now the financial fighting is on steroids. I appreciate that so much. And also, I'm just going to echo this idea of the rules and responsibility list. I had a guest on the podcast, David Hensel, in the last few weeks, and he was talking about this idea of managing happiness in your life. And he said, it changed his marriage when he and his wife sat down and listed out their respective roles and responsibilities. So everyone was really clear on what who was in charge of, because there was this weird middle ground where everyone felt they were being used by the other partner, Mm -hmm. right? And Once everything got laid out so that there was really clear distribution of responsibility, everyone's emotions kind of quelled. And it didn't mean that that wasn't up for renegotiation. And I think that's a key thing. I think we sometimes resist creating these roles and responsibility things because we feel like we're committing to our role and responsibility for the rest of our lives. But you're not like it's it's just a working document so that everyone kind of knows what everyone's task is before we go off and play the game. I just really appreciate that it's coming up in a few different areas. Let's talk about this third type of relationship in business, because I think this is one where we kind of, we don't think to think about it. And that is actually two business partners coming together. And I remember once I had... In what what capacity? You mean two entrepreneurs with their own business? Two entrepreneurs coming together in a single business. So having a business partner, not necessarily who's a life partner. I remember I had a patient once who was saying they had a business partner and we somehow got into the conversation of how that was going. And they said one thing they made a commitment to right at the beginning of their work together in this business, and they had both had previous business partners and businesses, was they did therapy together every single week, like Mm -hmm. any other couple, so that they had a third party who helped them move through these communication elements because they were like, we just didn't want 
to let the emotions or misunderstandings or any of these things get in the way of this amazing thing that we wanted to build. So let's start there. What are some of the traps that people fall into or don't think about when they have a business partner or are walking into a business relationship with someone else? And then how do we manage that over the long run? Okay, so I find it interesting because there's not many business coaches that do what I do, which is work with business partners. Mm -hmm. So I find it interesting that they went to a therapist. So the first thing that's usually not done is that this is like an ounce of prevents a pound of cure. One is to appropriately vet who you're going to go into business with. Did you say vet? Vet. My brain heard beg and I was like, wait one second, let's get very clear here. Well, first of all, usually there's one person that has the idea and seeks out another co-founder or a partner. So the person that has the idea needs to be very clear on what their vision is for the company, short and long-term, right? Including what the exit strategy will be. So from the get-go, you as the business owner must be clear on what your goals and your values are for your company. And then you need, with much clarity, express them to any potential business partner and make sure that they truly have buy-in, not they just tell you they have buy-in, but they truly have buy-in and they are willing to operationalize those goals. So what happens is people get excited, oh, like a marriage, you know, we love each other, we're going to support each other, we're going to set the world on fire and make money together until we don't. And many times you allow the enthusiasm of the moment to sidetrack the vetting that I just said you need to talk about. The other thing is being aligned in your value. What one person is willing to do to make a buck could look very different than what somebody else is willing to do a buck, all within the realm of legality. I'm not saying anybody's going to do anything illegal. Talk about a refund for clients. What do you want that to look like? Are you going to nickel and dime people to death? And so those are conversations that you have to have from the get-go, including what the financial agreement is, which includes there's financial equity and then there's sweat equity, right? Or intellectual equity. How does that play out? And what does that look like when it comes to perks, disbursement and giving salaries or giving shares? right? And you put that all in writing and you show it to financial people if necessary, tax people if necessary, because there's financial ramifications, especially if there's stocks involved. And then you get it signed and notarized. And to your point, it's a solid document, but it's something that in the future you can pull out and say, oh no, we didn't agree to this. Oh no, we did. And then it could be, okay, do we want to revise that? Do we want to change that as the company grows or as the company shrinks or as one person decides they want to leave or God forbid somebody gets sick and they can no longer work in the business? What will that look like? Mm -hmm. That answer your question? (laughs) Totally did. You know, I think there's two traps that I watch people get into and I have a different vantage point than you. One is people have wonky relationships with partnership agreements and or prenups. We have this like huge amount of baggage that we bring to having a legal document define the nature of a relationship. Whereas I'm like, I feel like contracts are these like sacred tools that can preserve relationships. 
So it's just a shift on that piece. But I just want to call that out because I know there's some people who are like, "Ooh, I like everything but the agreement piece. Like it is such an important tool of preservation. I would want to know why the people don't like the agreement piece. What does that represent to someone? What is your concern? It's protecting both you and your partner. I agree with you. But I have found, maybe it's just my industry. I don't think it's just my industry. No, no, I want to hear. There is a lot of conversation around when we take a relationship and we add, I'm going to just say the prenup or the partnership agreement, because they kind of all hang out in the same Mm -hmm. meaning box for people. One, it means that, you know, the love and the respect was never there in the first place. We're setting us up for failure is a narrative that I hear. One of the other narratives that I hear is just that, you know, Our relationship and our bond is so strong. We don't need one of those tools. Those are for other people. Those are for the nasty people that tend to fight. I think it's viewed as this sort of dark cloud. I also know, I witnessed the other side of people's relationship with contracts. And contracts in general are an area that people get, they feel like they're being taken advantage of by the sheer nature of there being a contract in place. I feel like I could do a whole podcast. I've talked a lot about this in the last few months people's relationship with contracts and they're like backpedaling of it or they're not honoring of it or they're viewing it as an optional entity, which is why I really choose to look at contracts as like these sacred tools in businesses or relationships that is a fallback plan if needed. I find that so interesting because these agreements are all about protecting everybody, Mm -hmm. right? If you don't want to have a prenup, then you are being grossly naive. If you look at the stats, I'm going to make it up, but it's pretty close. 50% of most marriages fail. Mm -hmm. So why would you not want to protect your interest? It's just like going into a marriage. One person might have debt. The other person might not have debt. And one person, I've heard people say this, look, I love my spouse like crazy, but that doesn't mean I'm taking on their $200,000 dental school loan. I get that. Right. So there's that piece from a business perspective. You know, let's go with the American president, Ronald Reagan, trust but verify. I believe everybody goes into a partnership for the most part, unless you're dealing with the sociopath with good intentions. There's no doubt. However, the road to hell was paved with good intentions. And I will also tell you that the exit agreement is important, not just for you. But if you are thinking of selling your company and you don't have an exit agreement, that might actually hurt you from being able to sell it and or B, get the premium price for it. Uh So why would you set yourself up for getting less by not having something? So honestly, if someone came to me coaching or consulting and said, I really want to partner with this person, but they don't want to sign, you know, they don't want to go into having an agreement. I say, then that's not the person to do business with. Because that is incredibly, incredibly naive. Now, I will say, I understand the angst around contracts, right? It's the whole thing like, well, forgive me, but we are held hostage by attorneys, right? It's so by nature adversarial, Mm -hmm. but it is what it is. And newsflash, at least in the States, people do parenting agreements. And you know what it's worth? It's barely worth the paper it's written on. But that's a little bit of a sidebar. Yeah, I think it it lays out the intentions, enables you to come together and outline, if we did exit, if we did 
pull apart from this because things happen in life. Here is the behavior and conduct and integrity that we want to be able to bring to the table. That's why I view it as such a key. What if an unbelievable offer came knocking on your door that you never in a million years dreamed of? Right. And what if one partner wants to run this forever? They want to pass it down to their children and you're like, no good. I'm cashing out of 15 million. Okay. That's good to know. It it's will good to know. I want everyone to know. I'm happy to cash out right now for 15 million. I just want yeah, to be very clear for everyone. Everyone can hear it. The other thing that I hear people talking about when they are looking for partnerships, and in my industry, partnerships can often mean I'm going to join and be a, become an associate at a clinic, or I'm going to find a partner to run my clinic with. And when I ask people, why do you want to do that? Often the answer has nothing to do with the business itself or respective skill sets. Many times the answer has to do with, I don't want to do it alone. I want to be in community. I want to have a friend around. And that's okay, Mm. but I want to explore that a little bit because my rational business brain is like, that is a very expensive friend. Like that is a very expensive reason to dilute your equity by 50%. But that's just one lens upon which to view that answer. As someone who is an expert in relationships in businesses. Can we just talk for one quick second about this idea of I want to be in business with someone because I want a business friend? Okay. So in Wall Street, they say, if you want a friend, get a dog. Great. I have a lovely dog. Because it's business. I understand the loneliness of being a sole entrepreneur. That's what the person is addressing. But you must be very clear that The partnership is a business relationship. It is not a friendship slash social. Now, can it develop that? Absolutely. But be very clear to your point that if you're giving up 50% of your profit to someone else, that's a business. Now, there's no doubt that potentially you can be easing the emotional burden. You have a difficult client, a difficult patient or whatever. You have someone to bounce that off of. You have someone to commiserate with, but it might also be the opposite. That person might end up being the biggest pain, the biggest thorn in your side. So do you want to partner with someone that you like and get along with? Yes. But if you're going into a partnership with the sole intention of having a friend at work, you really need to rethink that. And I would advise against it. I appreciate. No, I appreciate the directness of the conversation. And I also think it speaks to the life experience that you have Mm -hmm. had and witnessed. Because my opinion on having a business partner when I'm like 28 and fresh Mm -hmm. out of school and ready to go and my needs at that stage are totally different than the practicality of how I would view things at this phase of my experience in my career. So I think it's important to hear from all sides. And it's a very nice way of Megan telling me I'm older, therefore I have wisdom. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I was I was throwing myself in that category too, Patty Ann. I think that but it's true. Yeah, it's so true. Right, Absolutely. you go through enough iterations. It's like now, what just happened recently in context of society right? You had Silicon Valley that was the be all and end all, right? And people were getting paid, honestly, obscene amounts of money doing, I don't know, I don't know what engineers do, right? And now it's changing. The only thing constant is change. 
right? That's the exciting aspect of business. That's the exciting aspect of partnerships. It's also the challenging part. So everything we're talking about, including agreements, is just one of several tools that will help you navigate those changes and come out successfully. Any research or insight that you can provide around gendered partnerships in business? And here's what I mean by that. Studies show that when men are married, they live longer and they are happier. And studies also show that when women are not partnered as they age, they are happier and more independent. Do we see any correlation between that type of personal relationship research and business relationships? So if that exists, honestly, I don't know about it, but I do wonder, definitely men can't live without women. Women can certainly live without men. So many reasons for that. But, you know, I think I just read research about the percentage of women that are the primary breadwinners or make more than their husbands, I think is tipped over 50%, if not more. And I think that is change in the dynamic of a lot of things with relationships and with business. I will tell you what hasn't changed is that certainly in the corporate world, when women are more successful, they're less likely to be well-liked. Whereas when men are successful, they're the best things since sliced bread. And I've seen that played out over and over again. Like a woman, oh, she just wants the money. She's greedy. Uh, Duh, what is she working for? But a guy, I've never met a guy that thinks he's been overpaid. And we know plenty of them that are. And I could <laughs> That's go, a good point. I could go on and on and on, right? And entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs don't necessarily ask for what they're worth as much either. And the perception is, oh, they're being greedy. No, they want to be paid what they're worth. It's a whole other conversation. I feel like that's season two in navigating relationships there you go. and business. I want to be really respectful of your time, Patty Ann. I've got three quick rapid fire questions for you that may have nothing to do with partnerships, but I want to get your insight. First one, when you need to cultivate courage at a moment's notice for something you need to do in your life and business, how do you do that? Think about the last time I did something that I thought I couldn't do and I slammed it. Love it. What's your motivational beverage of choice? Coffee. All day, every day. I knew knew the answer to that before you even (laughs) went there entrepreneurship. Were you born this way or did you learn to become an entrepreneur? I learned to, well, I actually think I was born this way, but I wasn't exposed to it. And then once I was exposed to it, ain't no looking back. I am so unemployable. I cannot work for anyone. I could never work for anyone. Hear you on that piece. But I'll also say one of the reasons why I won't work for them is bad ones, but there's also a little bit of, I shouldn't admit, I'm not going to work as hard as I work and be as smart as I am to make somebody else look good. Truth. Sorry. (laughs) Perfect. Last question for you. What do you want your legacy of impact to be? My relationship with my family, my friends, particularly my my children. And my I know I got it solid with my husband and my children. No doubt. That's that's success for me. Full circle, relationships, partnerships, all of the above. Dr. Patty Ann Tublin, where can we send people to learn more about your work and insight? So they can go to my website, drpattyann.com. And then I'm on Instagram as Dr. Patty Ann. I'm on TikTok and I'm on Facebook. It's on my brand. So it's all Dr. Patty Ann. That's me. I mean, sometimes there's Dr. Patty Ann's that show up that are dead. So that's not me. But I'm really (laughs) glad that we made that clear differentiation. You can grab links to everything 
about the living Dr. Patty Ann Tublin over on my website, meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. And I do, I do have it free uh, PDF on how to read body language. So people might want to check that out. Fantastic. It's going to be over there as well. Meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. Patty Ann, thank you. It's always a pleasure. You're welcome. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.